Hi folks, I'm Abigail and this is Peak Curiosity. For this episode, I'm chatting with Gail. She is a licensed therapist out of Meridian, Idaho. She specializes in ADHD treatment, so we mostly talked about that. This kind of stuff is just so incredibly interesting. And thank you for listening. It is super cool that you budget out any amount of time for this, and it helps my guests to know that it's worth their time. Happy listening. How long have you been a therapist? Well, I graduated in 2013, but uh, you actually start a year and a half before that. So I guess almost 10 years, nine years. And I assume you like it? I like it very much. It, um, I think that all career paths eventually lead you to the fullness of who you are, where you can just find it and be so fulfilled regardless of the money or the stress and Mm -hmm. your energy stays high. So I like it. (laughs) Do you find it to be a stressful job? No, it's, it's not a stressful job. I, I still sleep every night and uh, I I like it, I guess. Good. What's your favorite animal? (laughs) My favorite animal? Uh, Probably a poodle. Cute. What is ADHD? ADHD is a developmental disorder. Um, It has a genetic component and an environmental one. And it is the connection to the 12 functions of the prefrontal cortex. And some of them are not functioning at optimal level. Some of them are, and some of them aren't. So how many of these have to be not at full capacity before you will be diagnosed with ADHD? That's an excellent question. So let me tell you, first of all, what are the executive functions? They're they're right here behind your forehead. Uh, Some neurologists say that the prefrontal cortex is about as the thickness of a napkin, but it's like your motherboard. And this is what helps you decide and, you know, what you're going to do. So one is the ability to get started on a task, um, memory. So some people are very forgetful, and when this happens, we we wonder if that is just not functioning as well as it could. Emotional control is another one. Uh, a pause button. So people who are impulsive and they react or they speak too fast or they act too soon have a difficult time pausing and thinking about how those words or how that action you know, to evaluate it before they actually do it. Your attention span, if it's hard time, if you have a hard time staying focused on something and you get easily distracted by something else, then that's another one. The ability to plan multi-step tasks to get to a, a larger goal is another one. It's the ability to break something down into steps and then take them. Um, organizing, a lot of people with ADHD just have a heart are messy. They have clutter in their house and they have a hard time just keeping things in order. Um, Some people struggle with managing their time, estimating how long it's going to take to get somewhere, how much time they actually need to get ready. And they just are chronically late. Flexibility is another one. Being able to see yourself and how, if you're self-aware to, you know, how you're doing 
and persistence. Just keep going until you finish. And then just stress tolerance. So we're having a lot of opportunity to test our stress tolerance these days. So in the, in the course of development, these things connect at, at different times, whether it's at nine months of age or 12 or <clears throat> whatnot. So there's, there's a genetic part and then there's also environmental. Mm-hmm. Can trauma make it happen? That's not a good way to word it. But <laughs> yeah, trauma can uh, be one of the definite uh, markers. I think your earlier question was actually how many of those have to be problematic well, it depends on if you're a child or adult in order to get a pathological or a, a diagnosis so that you can get treated, there is a certain number, but really what we're looking at is your ability to function. So if you're so chronically lately that you lose your job, if you can't pay attention to your friends so that they sort of drift away from you, if you can't manage your time or your money or your space and you keep losing things, so if you can't function, then that's when it becomes a diagnosis. Okay. So I just felt the need to say this. I don't really know why, but I did a little bit of inventory and I have five immediate family members with ADHD and I have mm -hmm. a couple friends too. So it feels like I'm around it all the time. When you're in relationship with somebody with ADHD, how do you just work well with them? and let them be them without mm -hmm. getting frustrated? Oh, that's a really good question. If there's no treatment, which is usually a combination of medication and some kind of therapy, actually we call it coaching because these are skills that you're learning. If you don't have any treatment, then technically it's a blind spot. Most family members who are dealing with this get frustrated. You said you were gonna pick up milk on the way home and you never pick up what I ask you to. And it looks from the family member's perspective that you don't care, that you don't love them, that, the, that you're selfish, you can only think about yourself. And from a non-ADHD person, it is super frustrating. And even if you talk to them about it, they'll probably defend that it's all okay because it's really a blind spot. And uh, so when they have difficult problems like a trauma, they feel blindsided because they didn't see that coming because they can't see it coming because it's, it's just not working. So it's hard to work, hard to live with. Mm -hmm. Back to it, how it starts. So you mentioned that when your brain is developing, just some connections aren't made. Mm -hmm. it, is it hereditary? Well, there seems to be a need for a genetic predisposition it seems to have something to do with the growth rate of the inside of the brain, the cingulate, which brings forth um, the connection to this prefrontal cortex and the rate that the skull grows. So it just changes the amount of gray matter. It changes how they connect. So you have to have that growth piece for it to qualify. But usually there is either trauma or there's neglect. There's something not happening at the time that that would normally be connected. Mm -hmm. And this can come from anything in the, in the brain, um, in, in the environment. It often is when your caregiver is impacted. In gestation, you're connected to the, the mother through the um, umbilical cord and you get most of your organs. But as it turns out, when you're born, you only have a fourth the size of your brain. 
for obvious reasons, it's got to get out the birth canal. So the brain actually forms for the most part, the, the upper brain all forms after, after you're born. And uh, although it's not an umbilical cord, it's an emotional cord. So the more bonded and emotionally connected, the more attached you are to your caregiver, the primary one, how quickly they respond to your needs. And if you have food and you're not you know, always hungry, if you have someone taking care of you and looking at you, focusing on you, paying attention to you, they actually do connect. So if the, the, in a child that is growing up, an infant, then since they don't have clearly these connections, the emotional status of the mother through her right orbital cortex, the right eye kind of calms down the baby. The baby's right eye connects with mom's right eye. And this, this uh, right orbital cortex begins to form and to develop and to connect. But if mom's gone, if mom's depressed and doesn't want the baby to see her crying, if mom's anxious, so, you know, she's, she's kind of tied or she looks away, she's distracted. Um, anything can be going on, obviously, in mom's life that wouldn't be her fault. But in these formative years, this is why it's a developmental disorder, it, it comes and it connects over time. If there's not good attachment and secure attachment in the environment, then at operative times, these things don't connect well. They, they seem to be able to get them later um, as you have a secure support system and you feel accepted and loved and supported. You can, oftentimes they will form at a later time. Sometimes we have to just modify the environment. Hmm. Could this be caused by malnutrition? I don't, I've never heard that, that it is because you weren't eating properly. But I do know that when you do have ADHD, it causes all kinds of nutrition problems. So when the brain doesn't connect well, and they, it basically it's the neurotransmitter dopamine. If you don't have sufficient dopamine processing, if it's a dopamine process is too slow, coming through the cingulate to, you know, it's just enough energy to keep, keep all this working. But if it's not getting through its processing slower, then the brain will chase dopamine. Whatever you like, you can do. If you're interested, there's dopamine. But if you don't like it, then it's just like it sort of powers down. And uh, when it powers down, we end up craving things that kind of bring up temporary energy, like sugar, fat, carbs, uh, all those things bring, give you a little bit of a boost. And so a lot of people end up craving food because they have ADHD. But I've never heard that because of poor food, you get ADHD. Okay. So when I was doing a little bit of looking into ADHD, one of the symptoms, it, there's either a lack of the ability to focus or you have this hyper-focus. Mm -hmm. But yeah. how does the hyper-focus differentiate between like a state of flow? So there's a range. Obviously, when you can't focus, it doesn't go very well. When you hyper-focus, it actually can go too well. It might be better if there was just sort of an, an average flow. What happens in ADHD, because some functions are on and some functions are off, you end up with a dual function. Uh, you, you might even notice you have some friends that 
there's times when they're just they're they got it and they might even look more intelligent more advanced than the, than the average but if you don't like it then your functioning drops way down here so while most people would be in this range without adhd the greater this diverse functioning the more difficult it is um, nowadays a lot of young people are hyper focused on video games now, there's nothing wrong with video games, but if they feel successful and this hyper-focus means that the dopamine is flowing very, very well, and you're just like in the zone, they might say. But the problem with this higher level is that whatever's down here underneath it might trip you up. For example, people who love to run or love sports, love football, love to ride bikes, they, they love it so much. It is so intense that there's not a good break. There's not, there's no way to slow it down. And they might push too hard and just not be aware of it because they don't slow down enough to really assess. And they have a lot of injuries and there's automobile accidents because they're not paying attention, but their mind is on what gives them dopamine and their mind is not on driving in that moment. And they just miss stop signs and stop lights. So when there's this diverse functioning up here, it's because you like it down here. It's because you don't like it. And there's a sometimes kind of a meltdown when you have this and somebody takes it away because it feels like they're taking away your functioning. Hmm. And uh, down here, you just, you, it's not worth it to you. So you kind of get around it. You make excuses, you, you know, blame it on other people. You do all kinds of things because down here you can't function as well. And of course, this doesn't feel very good if you have, have ADHD. Hmm. Speaking of ADHD, I feel like I'm skipping around my questions in not any particular order. <laughs> so short-term memory is a bit of a problem, right? Is that just another one of those connection things that the short-term memory can't convert into long-term? That is a very good question. I think one of the most confusing parts of ADHD is how they view time. So there's only two times. There's now and not now. So if it's now, it, it's sort of like um, a funnel. And, and this is what you can see. You can see now and all this outside is not now. So somebody with ADHD, can you pick up the, take out the trash? Yeah, I'll get to it. But that really just means not now. It does five minutes or 10 minutes. It, it's not linear. It's just like when I get a surge of dopamine and interest and I'm inspired to do that, then I'll do it. But it, it doesn't have to do with linear time. It's just now or not now. So it's very difficult to predict time. For some, but not for all. That's the hardest part about ADHD. You can't really tell which of those 12 are not functioning. It, there's no way to know that until you really have an in-depth interview and you can see something's not functioning and you don't know which of the 12 it is, but usually there's like three or sometimes there's people that have five that are just not working very well and they don't know it, which is the hardest part because they're blind to it. Mm -hmm. Everybody else sees it, but you can't see it. So I think the value of, of therapy for ADHD is if I have a deficit, I wanna be the first one 
to know it and not the last one to know it. I want to see how it works and I want to accept myself. I want to get the best functioning I can. And then with the rest of it, I'm going to find something that is respectful to me and it can explain things to others so that at least I keep my relationships. Sure. So that was a great answer, but I'm a little bit confused on how it connects to the short-term memory question. Oh, well, memory, it, it depends on how, how short-term that is. If I have to dump some stuff in order to focus on one thing, then I'm going to dump whatever's not important to me. Mm. So that's just in the moment, how it, whatever I want to think about, I can think about. Mm-hmm. It's not always short-term memory. I, I can remember things from my childhood that I liked, but I don't remember things from my childhood that were disturbing. Hmm. It Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean there's some really lovely things about not having to, you just don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. When were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed about 10 years ago and uh, by a professor. Were you having trouble functioning? I just never did the things that I wasn't good at. Mm-hmm. And when you're young, you don't get that choice. You just have to go to school every day and you're always seeing yourself with everyone else. But as you get older, you can choose your friends, your career, your place. And as long as I got my way, I did just fine. Hmm. You can imagine how nice that was to live with. <laughs> yeah, sounds sounds just... If, if Actually, if I didn't like it, I just didn't pay attention. I just kind of sure. checked out because I don't want to get disturbed. So that's why my memory is, is really negative because I remember the things that I enjoyed and the stuff that I didn't enjoy, I just thought about something else. Hmm. Kind of dissociative, is that the right word? Uh, dissociative disorder is tr- is sort of in that category, but it's more because ongoing trauma is just like a dripping faucet, bad, 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 bad. Mm. I just check out and I'm in a kind, I, I kind of separate into parts. This is my child part. This is my snow skiing part. So it's a little bit different. It's a little more traumatic than ADHD, but, but I have a lot of people who come in for um, PTSD and in the process we discover that they're traumatized by their own symptoms. They wanted to please people and they couldn't, so they just kind of blanked out certain things. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So how much is personality involved or is this like a chicken and the egg question? Well, I don't know that anybody has ever done that research, but I can tell you from clinical practice that one of the things that helps me understand that while one person with ADHD doesn't have very good memory, but they might have something else, is seems to be correlated to their personality. Like if they really like planning long-term things, then all those things they they can connect to and they it's part of their personality. Hmm. So a lot of these ADHD symptoms can appear to be a character flaw. So how can you keep from being defined by those flaws and recognize that it's not necessarily a character problem? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that that is probably the hardest part. When normal functioning is right here and you're functioning out here, then these things, which are not age appropriate, they, and it happens consistently, people often see it as a character flaw. But it isn't actually a character flaw. So the best thing you can do to get past that character flaw is to learn about ADHD. Learn all you can, you know, read books, choose, you know, good books. Uh, you want to have somebody that has good credentials because there's a lot of hearsay about ADHD that doesn't have anything to do with it. But if you get educated, you slowly begin to see, ah, yeah, that happens to me all the time. It's your fault hmm. because obviously it's genetic and environmental as you're developing, but it's not the environment's fault either. There's a one author that says his mother was in the Holocaust and she suddenly, everybody else killed in the family and she had to escape fast. And she didn't say goodbye. She didn't say anything out now. So she got out in order to save the child. But the child was um, that separation, that sudden separation, where's my caregiver, formed the secondary parts of ADHD for him. So environment has something to do with it, but it's not, it can't be your character. If you never, if you know, you can't give me a hundred dollars if you don't have a hundred dollars. So they can't give in terms of functioning what they've never received. So it's not their fault. It is their responsibility, but not their fault. So let's go to treatment a little bit. So when I was talking to you about doing an episode, you said are you're really good at treating ADHD. So what mm -hmm. makes you good at it? Mm. Well, I don't do the medicine piece. I'll refer if you want to choose medication. There are a few people that can't medicate, and there's a few people that won't medicate. So in that case, we, we don't really do therapy. It's more coaching. Um, a coach watches what you do well and can see specifically what you're not doing. So coaching is paying a lot of attention to what's not working for them, how the events are sequenced, when there's an exception to the rule, and then finding out the, the skill that you do have, because there is one way that will work, but it's not me guessing and having you try another thing and why don't you try this and why don't you that. That'll just drive a person with ADHD absolutely crazy because you, you can't give it that kind of effort. Um, working harder just drains you of dopamine. You have to work smarter. So coaching is uh, spending time together, talking how, what, it, what's bothering you. Oh, I, I can't, I can't take a test. Or maybe they'll say, you know, I, I, I can't stand uh, something that my brother or sister does, or I just can't pay my bills on time. Or I, for some reason, I can't get my dishes done. Uh, I can't, I can't get my laundry put away. So whatever it is that's tripping you up, then we begin to explore ways that it has worked for you in, in other circumstances and how we could grab that skill and apply it. Gotcha. So how, how do you tell the difference between children just being children who are, you know, school doesn't sound fun, you're having to sit for hours on end. So how, how do you tell the difference between a kid that's just being a kid 
and someone with ADHD? Uh, probably the main way is the difference between they won't or they can't. So it's you have to really know your your the kid. You have to know the functioning. You have to know the adult. And it's a long process of listening, thinking, exploring to figure out do they need what what do they need. I think that if you do have ADHD, what psychiatrists normally do is they give you a very small dose, maybe even just for a week. I mean, it's so little. It's just this tiny little pill. It's not very much. And we watch to see if the child has any effect. So we're not going to get any good effect, but what we're looking for a bad effect. So in this initial small dose, if they come back after a week and say to the psychiatrist, I don't think that stuff works, then the psychiatrist will say, okay, then you have ADHD. Then they'll go ahead and get to a therapeutic level. But if you don't have ADHD and you're a child and you take that stuff, oh my word, you're off the walls and you're like the ultimate in hyper, can't finish a sentence, interrupt all the time, run, 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 can't finish a task. It, it's it's very obvious. So, and it's not only obvious to other people, the body doesn't tolerate that very much. Now, I'm not talking about the world of drug addiction where there's um, seeking some kind of abnormal experience. But for kids, they're not normally trying to do that. They just want to function. All the psychiatrists that I work with, they're very careful and they follow the, the protocol. And if you have it, not only will he give it to you, but you'll want it. Um, there, occasionally you can test because the days that you take Adderall, you can function. And it's all gone by nighttime. So it's just a one-day pill, and it really doesn't hurt you to give it a shot, that you won't want to take the second pill if, it, if you don't have ADHD. The Adderall will just make you crazy. What is it that Adderall and Ritalin are doing in your brain? Yes. So how does how does a stimulant work? Well, if you're if you don't have ADHD, you just I'm going to see if I can turn this. It's like you'd walk at a regular adult pace. But even if you're an adult and you've got ADHD, your brain has to work harder because you're trying to get dopamine to process faster. So the brain is going and going and going and going and going and going and thoughts are racing and your mind feels full and you can't keep on the same thought and you jump from thought to thought because you don't have enough dopamine going through there. Dopamine is the, the neurotransmitter pleasure, which makes you want to learn. Mm -hmm. There's something, oh, oh, this video game looks so interesting. I want to learn that. But what if it's math facts? Oh, I don't want to learn that. Well, then there's no dopamine. And so if there's no dopamine, I mean, your brain has to work so very hard. So we're going to stimulate your brain, not to make this go faster, but for your brain, your normal functioning actually to slow down because something else is going to get the speed up. You know, it's going to speed you up so that all this turns on and then you don't have to run around and race and try to figure it out. So it's, it's kind of counterintuitive why we give a stimulant in order to slow down your brain, but that's basically what we're doing. Hmm. Interesting. So you've mentioned video games quite a bit so far. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we have, I'm totally spitballing here. 
if we have an environment that has so many things that are so exciting, like video games, like TV, that it's creating more people with an ADHD type disorder, even if it's not the connection type, Mm -hmm. if you're following. But it's Mm -hmm. like there are so extremely interesting things Mm -hmm. that a kid just really can't be interested in math when a video game is available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's very many studies that are trying to compare video games to math. Uh, There's plenty of people that don't like video games at all. So remember, you only chase dopamine for where you feel dopamine. So some people might get dopamine by doing video games while other people get dopamine from driving fast or shopping or, you know, taking pictures or running. It doesn't matter what gives you dopamine. It's what you're chasing. So video games seems to be more accessible for children. And so that's why I've mentioned that. For one thing, it's quiet. I have total control. It depends on what my fingers do. And I have immediate reward, immediate reward. And so this goes fast. And if your brain is trying to go fast, this is quite satisfying. It's colorful. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's under your control. There's variety. But it it doesn't really work for everybody. It just happens to be that way for children. Gotcha. Well, it looks like I'm out of questions specifically about this. You went through them really fast. Is there anything else that you'd Mm -hmm. like to mention that I missed? Mm -hmm. There is something that might be interesting about children. The children who have ADHD and untreated, there's higher um, correlation to things that are going on in the night because the brain doesn't actually slow down. Well, even for adults, there might be a lot of dreaming or there's really no restful sleep. So sleep is a real common problem with ADHD. Even if you treat it, it can get better, but it really requires a lot of self-discipline and uh, a good routine. Um, Changing bedtimes and wake times. uh, You just have to have a great routine to manage the sleep. Another thing that's kind of interesting, ADHD is the fourth most common diagnosis for adults. Um, Depression and anxiety are higher, but it's very common. Um, A lot of people don't treat it because they just say, oh, that's the way I am, or they blame somebody else for it. But really, everybody could function better if they just recaptured the potential of their brain and get all these things functioning the way that they need to be. Life uh, tends to improve for most people, especially relationships. Yeah. What are the biggest relationship problems? Oh, that's a really great question. Well, it depends on what what is not functioning. If you pause before you blurt something, then these words hurt your partner. And then if you can't apologize because you can't figure out what you did wrong... It is very hard on a relationship to hurt the relationship, but not be able to apologize. Or it might be the other extreme. You apologize all the time because you got in the habit. You're you're using apologies to to treat your ADHD. That way you just you just keep making gobs of mistakes, but you apologize all the time. So it, it can be memory. I can't remember when we got married. I can't remember our honeymoon. I can't remember when our kids were born. 
uh, there's some people that have so many significant things that for some reason they were distracted. Emotional outbursts can be kind of hard on a relationship and um, organization. If you can't clean your house or, or plan a meal and if your you know, family isn't eating until 10 o'clock at night because it took you that long to plan it and organize it and get your head together, well, this is kind of hard on relationships. What would you say to somebody who has maybe a spouse or friend who is suffering from ADHD but is maybe stubborn or afraid to get treatment? How would you recommend that they go about helping this person? So, oh, there's a lot of options there. There's um, there's many tools that are available. There's an online magazine called ADD Attitude, and there's great tips in there for how to how life is to be married to a person like this or a friend like this, what to do and what not to do, um, referring them to a therapist. If they say, I got a problem, that's usually the time to speak up because you can't really convince them that there's something out there if they can't see it. But when they realize, wow, I can't keep a job. I can't get, I can do my homework. I can't seem to turn it in. I can, I, I lose my keys every day. I'm so sick of it. But when they get tired of it and something's not working for them, maybe they're on their third divorce. Maybe they have lost all their credit cards. They've had to do bankruptcy three times because they can't stop spending. So when there's something that they say, I'm so frustrated, this is not working. That's a really good time to say, well, there's probably a lot of help out there for you if you are interested and that's a good time to see a therapist because a therapist is very careful about waiting for clients' readiness to help them see, you know, hear what they're saying and validate how frustrating that is and kind of leading them until they can say, I think I need help. And um, I've had some people that I've seen in therapy, I could tell they, they weren't ready to talk about medication maybe for a year or two. Um, many of them, I kind of jumped the gun and they never came back. And a year later they said, okay, I finally got on meds. Now can we work on this? So you just have to, everybody's unique and different. And sometimes it does cost you a lot of pain before you're ready to think about medication or therapy. Hmm. I see. Probably the best thing that I would say as a friend or a spouse, I would observe one area and I would help them see their dual level of functioning. And I would take the curious stance and I would say to them, I'm kind of confused. When you do video games, you can sit there forever and you can focus. I'm saying just video games, just because it's a common example. But when you do this, you can't see to keep your mind on it. You just jump from thing, something to thing. It must be very frustrating for you. I see you really manage your time well when you're doing your job. But when you get home, it seems like things are slipping out of your control. And I, I hear you saying, yes, I'm going to do that. But I don't always see you do that. It must be frustrating for you that I keep nagging you about that. 
So mm -hmm. if you help them see sometimes this and sometimes not, and they go, yeah, yeah, that's true. And if they say, yeah, I'm kind of tired of that too. If there's any sense of they're ready to look at it, then you can look at it. But if you run too fast and you say it too soon, they'll just resist you. They'll think it's your fault. It seems like when it comes to a variety of mental disorders, it reminds me of when someone's an alcoholic or a drug addict that send, dragging somebody into AA will, won't, they'll just get really mad. But if they mm -hmm. take themselves, they're more likely to get fixed. It uh -huh. seems like that's the same that's idea. So um, thank you for mentioning the addiction part. The, what we often refer to as the addictive personality, it is often the underpinnings are untreated ADHD. But you can see if you like it, and this is, when I do this, man, my brain functions. If it's reading romantic novels or running or, or you know, buying antiques, if you love it, and it's when you feel you're really on it, then you do it excessively. And that is the precursors of the addiction. When I'm doing it, I feel good. When I'm not, I don't feel good. So I better go do that again. So it doesn't matter what you feel good, you'll do it excessively. If you begin to realize that you're out of control and you're losing relationships, you're losing marriages, you're, you're losing money, and you can't tolerate it, it makes you very vulnerable for others, for substance to cover it up. So people with untreated ADHD are pretty vulnerable to smoking weed because it will calm down the memory of how bad this has been. Mm -hmm. People who are losing relationships, they often drink or they take drugs. So substance abuse is often the second level of an attempt to just calm yourself down or make yourself not care. But um, yeah, addictive behavior is often the underlying thing is low dopamine, except for the area where you're out of control. Gotcha. This morning, I was listening to a podcast about some ADHD in preparation to see if any questions popped into my mind. And she listed a bunch of symptoms, not the only symptoms, but some symptoms that she has, which is like waste time to avoid doing difficult things leave cabinets open all the time, have a short mm -hmm. temper, can't keep up with the laundry, send impulsive texts. And I was thinking, I do each of those things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't think I have ADHD because I'm really good at time management for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I do have good memory. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, well, well, how do you really distinguish between just Excellent some question. shortcomings but then mm -hmm. actual diagnosable things. I think that's why it's rarely diagnosed. And uh, we end up treating people for depression or anxiety, which are often correlated, but it's harder to see the ADHD because some of it does feel normal. What usually distinguishes it is interested or not interested. When you're interested, you can do it when you're not interested, you can't. So you hyper-focus if you like it and you under-focus if you don't. So there's a real element of 
can you stop yourself from this? Can you stop it? And when these things that aren't very easy, can you start it? If you can't stop it and you can't start it, unless you like it, then that is what makes the difference between ADHD and normal developmental behavior. So what are the biggest challenges that you face as a therapist? That's a good question. Probably the biggest challenge is um, helping them, helping people see themselves and say, I think I need help. That's very hard. Uh, usually they don't even come to therapy unless they're pretty convinced they got a problem. But we're very blind to our deficits. And we've been in the habit of either excusing them or minimizing our problems or you know, projecting them on others because we're not quite ready to take responsibility for it or we can't. And uh, that's probably the hardest is self-awareness and readiness. But those are, that, that's what you have to do as a therapist. You have to wait till they're ready. And um, the best way to do that is wait till they say it. Mm-hmm. Just kind of be with them and accompany, make it safe, validate, and then just wait until they say, they feel safe enough to say, I think I have a problem. Yeah. So being patient as a therapist, because sometimes you can see it and it takes them a year to see it, but you gotta, gotta be patient. That would be very hard. But if you throw it out too soon and they're not ready to hear it out of all the things that they could do, they're for sure not going to do it that way. So if you, you don't, you don't want to throw out your best too soon because they'll, they'll reject it and it might take them five or 10 years to bring that back onto the table. Yeah. To be very slow. There seems to be a correlation to this with like evangelism Mm -hmm. and the kind of evangelism that I hate are just people that go around with a video camera and they just say, well, have you ever lied? So you're a sinner. You're going to hell. You need Jesus. And you're like, whoa, 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 calm down. And it just, this is what reminds me of that. It's you, mm-hmm. People need to come to the realization that they're, they're not functioning in something, whether it's a moral problem or, or something, mm-hmm. but just mm-hmm. yelling at people that they're all sinners <laughs> appears to push mm-hmm. them away more than it brings mm-hmm. them in. And maybe even more so with ADHD, because if they're not processing it very fast, you know, they, they might either jump in too soon or, and it's not authentic because this is, you know, Christianity, people of faith, it's a matter of the heart. It's not knowledge. If it was just knowledge, then Adam and Eve seeking more knowledge with an apple probably would have worked, but faith is of the heart. And uh, you have to, it's about faith, not knowledge. True, true. Is there a way to, if you're having recurring nightmares, like a particular type of nightmare, is there a way to stop it? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, Well, before we stop it, we'd like to understand it. If you're going to be suffering, we want to make some kind of meaning out of that suffering. So If there's a message there and it's a recurring dream, it's probably some unfinished business. This is what the brain does in the, in the sleep cycle. If your the trauma wasn't too big, you're, you can actually 
resolve the trauma as your brain is in this restful cycle at night. But if it was recurring or it was too big, you, that sleep cycle is too short and, um, and your brain can't do it. So it's, it's still trying, it's like a broken record. It's still trying to find it. So if that's the issue, I would probably um, recommend EMDR and explore what, what does this mean? And what does this remind you of? So that we could see if there was a trauma that was unresolved, um, especially if it's disturbing. Gotcha. All right, I'll go to my closers. The Office or Parks and Rec? Which one is your favorite? And um, so I'm going to have to tell you that I don't watch TV. I am. <laughs> I get no dopamine from TV. So I have no idea. And I lived outside the United States for so many years. I don't know who artists are and movie stars. I don't know anybody's name. So I couldn't answer that. All right. That's interesting. I've never heard of anyone who didn't get dopamine from TV. <laughs> <laughs> is Genesis 1 through 11 history or legend? Hmm. <laughs> well, Genesis 1 is and 2 is actually a hymn. So think of uh, the hymns that we have written about the founding of United States, America. I mean, we write hymns to describe reality. Nobody was there. Nobody was an eyewitness. So we have to go with the things that make the most sense. I've lived in some cultures where their, their beginning of creation story had to do with a tree and a woodpecker and the sap coming down, mixing with the mud, and that formed the first man. But in that case, the man uh, might be inferior to the woodpecker. So it seems like there are many, many different cultural versions of how it all got started. It makes sense to each culture. Um, it doesn't transfer very well to other cultures. But what we do know is that a lot of pieces must have been some kind of fact, because how could that many cultures basically have creation stories, flood stories, Tower of Babel stories, the you know the growth of the nations? I don't know how many people could have so many similarities. It's really remarkable. Do you believe that there are aliens? I don't tend to think that there's aliens. And I think it's because of Job. The last part of Job, maybe 39, 40, 41, it is describing this amazing earth, the blue planet. I mean, all of our pictures from space, this planet is distinctly different. It sustains life. There is a cycle of life. It re refurbishes itself. Every planet they've landed on so far, taking pictures up close, they don't. They couldn't sustain life. So there's something different about this planet. So if you don't believe in Genesis one and two, you got to at least believe enough science to know that this place is different than all other places. We don't need, you know, to have a spacesuit. We don't need oxygen. We can just our body functions well here yeah so i don't know if they live out there or not but they're fun to think about i think my favorite part about asking these questions is just to see the initial facial expression as uh -huh. the other person is like what kind of question is this lady asking me <laughs> <laughs> all right here's my final one who or what inspires you to be your best self 
Well, undoubtedly, you know, I'm, I'm faith-based and undoubtedly I am finding out who I was created to be. So the supreme person in my life is Jesus Christ and the Father and the Spirit. So that's probably the most inspiring and the most, most helpful for becoming who I was created to be because obviously the author of my life would be the best one to inspire me to become the person, the only person that I could be. And so I'm trying to, you know, in the course of life, let go of the things that really, I tried it, but it just wasn't me. It didn't sustain me. So that probably is a big inspiration. But in terms of earthly inspiration, it would definitely have to be my husband. He just gives me a green light for everything I want to try and um, rarely says, I don't think that's a good idea. So I don't know if it's because I've earned his trust or because he just wants to see me learn and grow. That's awesome. Thank God for good husbands. Well, thank you for doing this. I learned You're a very lot. Welcome. Very welcome. Yeah. Hopefully lots of people will be inspired to think there's help. Yeah. They, they don't have to keep tripping over the same object all the time. They can, they can live better lives. I'll let you get back to your day. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye.